Take your Bibles and turn with me, please, to 1 Samuel, and we'll look beginning in chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1, that's in the Old Testament. And uh, Samuel was a great man of God. In fact, I'm praying for God to raise up a Samuel in our nation. I'm praying that we will have a man of God that everybody will know is a man of God from the north to the south and all across this nation. We need someone to give us spiritual leadership like a Samuel. And we're going to see the mother that prayed for this wonderful boy. And today is Mother's Day. And Mother's Day is a wonderful day, but it can also be a difficult day for many women. Some of you have a mother, like I do, that is deceased, and that's a hard thing. I'm planning on going up and uh, taking flowers to my parents' grave uh, the first of the week in Dyersburg. And I can almost hear my mother say, my flowers are not up to date. Please bring me some new flowers. So I'm going to do that. Some of you ladies are estranged from your mother. Some of you struggle like Hannah did in our text today with infertility. Maybe you've lost a baby. Maybe you've lost a child. All kinds of difficult situations can make Mother's Day a day not of celebration, but in some ways a day of dread. I'm speaking about Hannah. She could not have children. According to the CDC, 19% of American women struggle with infertility. That means one out of five women in this room understands the agony that Hannah was going through. For those of you who have children, I want to encourage you to pray for them. I recommend that you pray scripture for them. And I would encourage you to pick up a book by Sylvia Gunter. It's a guidebook, a workbook entitled For the Family. I believe we offer this in our bookstore. If not, you can get it online. For the family, Sylvia Gunter, G-U-N-T-E-R. She was a godly lady that Don and I knew in Birmingham, and she loves the Lord. I also encourage you not only to pray Scripture for your children, I also encourage you to recruit prayer warriors that will agree with you in prayer for your children. Praying for a prodigal can be agonizing and exhausting. And it's a time when you're, there's never a time when your wayward child is not on your heart or your thoughts. But you need to turn your troubled thoughts into prayers. Troubled thoughts don't do anything, any good, but your prayers will. Turn those thoughts into prayers. Now, before I preach, I want to ask Jay Stevenson. He is our next generation pastor here at Bellevue, one of the finest young men we have on our staff. I want him to speak to you, parents, about something that he is really 
somewhat of an expert on, and that is how to talk to your children, monitoring their iPads, iPhones, computers, and all of that. Let's thank the Lord for Jay Stevenson and welcome him to the pulpit. actually asked me to do the whole sermon, but I said I could cover all the challenges and opportunities of technology in just five minutes. Um, Pastor wanted me to really give encouragement to you as moms, and the last thing we would want to do on Mother's Day is to highlight areas that you need to work harder. What we want to do is encourage you of, of an area that we're seeing in the life of our students here at Bellevue and around the world, really, uh, a real area of contention in the home over the phones, uh, over technology, over iPads, over screens. And even if it's not in the family, it's for you personally, it's something that that God can really use for good and Satan can really use for bad. And we want to encourage you with just some information today. And let me just go ahead and tell you, I don't uh, think that technology is bad. I don't think phones are bad. I don't think iPads are bad. They're not going anywhere. I actually love my phone and being able to stay in contact with people more, use my time more effectively, to be able to do all the things that we love to do on the phone, to have my Bible uh, at, at my, in my hand anytime I need it. But Satan can also use our phones to distract us from what we are called to do as Christ followers and even sometimes destroy what we're called to do with Christ followers. And so I think it's very important for us as parents to realize what that means for our students. And what we're seeing across the board with, with adults alike is increased uh, depression, anxiety. We're seeing it at epidemic levels with our students, how God is continue, or Satan is con continuing to use technology to cause our students to compare themselves to others, to constantly feel like they're on a stage and everybody's looking at them. What Satan is doing to our students is not making them weaker. Our students are very strong, but we as parents have to be able to create an atmosphere to allow them to grow and to develop. And let me just tell you, parents, I'm with you. I've got three teenage boys and I'm in this fight. But here's what I'll tell you and what we're seeing a lot is it's a lot easier to parent in the extremes. It's a lot easier to parent with saying, look, we're going to create a bubble, no technology, we're going to stay away from it. I just don't think that's possible. Or we go to this side and we say, you know what? It's so overwhelming. I just don't know. My student knows more than I do. My, my five-year-old knows more about my phone than I do. So I'm just not going to have any rules and just hope for the best. And it's much easier to play in the extremes, but that's not what God's called us to do. He's called us to get in the fight. He's called us to get in and to be able to fight for our students, just like Brother Steve's going to talk about today, praying for our students and protecting them. We've got to realize technology and these phones, we've got to get in the middle and we've got to be able to help them. And so I just want to give you three words this morning that you can take, I think for parents, for moms, you can use, but I think for all of us as individuals who have phones, we would say, you know what, sometimes there's a, a, an imbalance here of what God has called me to do and what I spend my time doing. And the first is age. For parents of, of small children, you're trying to figure out, at what age do I give my kid a phone? At what age do I give my kid an iPad? Grandparents, you're trying to figure out, do I buy my kid a phone or an iPad for Christmas? I wish I could tell you there's a magic age. There's not. There's not a magic age because I think schools are changing that. We're starting to use uh, devices at an earlier age, and it gets harder. And so you have to really look at the maturity of your student. You have to look at what age. I will tell you this, that age is a lot older than your children think it is. That age is a lot older than you even think it is. 
And we have a lot of parents uh, that we're seeing across the board, not necessarily at Bellevue. Uh, I'm sure it's happening at Bellevue. You know, social media requires you to be 13 to be on social media. If your child's 11 or 12 and you said, hey, it's all right, we can just lie and say you're 13 so you can get on social media, I think that causes you to look in your heart and say, what, what is my goal here in raising my child to do this? If the companies that make billions of dollars have said you need to at least be 13 to use it, I think we should stand up and look. And a lot of the information we're getting is not just from uh, Brother Steve and myself and pastors saying we need to do better. It's the world. It's doctors and psychologists out there going, hey, screen time is at an epidemic level and we need to be appropriate and we need to watch what age we're exposing our children to that. It's not just the age they get it, but it's age suitable use. You know, even the laws require when you want to get a learner's permit that you drive with the instruction of a parent. But how many times we hand our kid a phone and then they walk off? That we need to teach them how to use that phone. We need to sit down with them and scroll through their social media feeds with them. We need to scroll through the games they're playing and and help them learn how to filter those things. Age suitable use, age suitable content. And I'm not saying there's some content that's appropriate for adults and not for others, but age suitable content is where it accidentally falls onto your phone. And we've all been a part of that. Most of the first exposure to things that are bad on their phone do not come because a student was searching for it. It became because it fell into their lap. And so you've got to put filters on your phones. You've got to put filters on your routers. You've got to be able to turn off the internet and be able to filter that. And even when I say that, some of you, your mind starts spinning, right? What does that mean? There are so many advances in technology to help you as parents. Most of you probably have that on your devices at home already. Most of you have that uh, availability on your routers and things at home to protect yourself. And I would just say, even as believers, we need filters on our phones. We need filters from that content just popping up on accident on our phone. We need that. Not just an age issue. The age is the first word. The second is time. And I would use this for everybody, but especially for students. You need to monitor the amount of time you're on your phone. Do you know what the average amount of time on a screen is for adults and teenagers alike right now? Nine hours. Nine hours a day, seven of that spent on your phone. And if you don't believe that, look at your phone sometime and look at screen time use. Now, I'm not saying, once again, I'm not saying that being on your phone is bad. But when it's so much, even the doctors are saying, wait, that's too much. It's too much for our brain to consume. It's too much for us to be doing that. When we think about what God has called us to do, Pastor, what we talk about, what God has called us to do, are we really doing that through our phone? And so we need to monitor the time. We need to monitor time during the day. I would say this, parents, and I make this statement, and students, you've heard me say this. If you sleep with your phone charging beside your bed, you need to stop. That's not just students. I think that's adults and everyone. No one says it's good to look at your phone right before you go to sleep. Nobody said it's good that that's the first thing you look at in the morning. And to be honest with you, most of us are not disciplined if we've got it beside our bed not to do that before we go to sleep or wake up. And so you need to charge that with somewhere else. Students, you need to charge it where you can't get to it at night. And there needs to be a time where you shut off. And I know that's hard because we like to always be on. You want to always be in connection. But we've got to be able to shut that off. And then I would say this for families and everyone alike, when you think about time, is there a time during your day or during your week that you say, we're not going to have technology or phones going on? Maybe it's dinner time. You just say, hey, during dinner time, we're not going to have our phones. Hey, during this time on the, on the ride, we're not going to have phones and we're going to talk. And the challenge I would say to you as parents and challenge to me, when you say that and then your boss calls and you get up and answer the call, you've just told your student work is more important than our family. 
And that's a challenge to me. I was challenged on that a while back of saying, if I'm going to tell my student to get off the phone, I need to get off the phone. We need to be able to put that down. And if we can't put that down, then we need to search our heart as well. And so, Tom, and the last thing I would say, and then we'll continue on, is conversation. Conversation. Are you talking to your your students about these things? Here's what advice I would give you. Seek to understand, not be understood. Seek to understand, not be understood. Ask your student what they struggle with. Ask your student what benefits they get from their phone. Students, I would tell you, ask your parents, why do I have this rule? Hey, why do you want to monitor this area of my life? And open that conversation, that dialogue, so that we can work together. At the end of the day, grandparents, parents, Sunday school teachers, all of us, we're in this battle together, and we need all of us to help. We need open conversation. We need open dialogue. You need to learn different things because technology is changing so fast The world is changing so fast, and we want to stand out. We want to raise Samuels up to be different. Then we need to all work together and realize this is not a battle against each other, but it's a battle together against what Satan is trying to do in the world, to destroy, to kill, and to distract. And so I would challenge you as parents, if you've got any questions, you're welcome to call my office. You're welcome. We've got a great web page where we give resources, all the information I just talked about. You can find information about that on our web page. And then there's a lot of books in the bookstore and a lot of great resources at your disposal. But I would say all of these things leading us to seeing how can we create an environment, an atmosphere where we can raise up some Samuels and raise up some young ladies who really will be world changers. I want to pray for you as a a family, and then uh, we'll continue on. So let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for who you are. God, thank you for what you've given us in this season of life, in this time period of history where we have technology and we have phones and iPads and information at our disposal. But God, I pray that it would never get so out of balance that, God, we lose sight of who you are and who you've called us to be. And God, I pray for the mothers and fathers and grandparents in the room right now that, God, they would stand in the gap And that, God, they would lift high who you are and who you've created our students to be. And, God, support them and allow them the opportunity to develop and grow to the best of their ability. And we ask this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Let's thank the Lord for Jay. Amen. Well, it's so important for us to set a good example with our phones and with our uh, different uh, media apparatuses. We just need to make sure that we're not addicted to them. I don't think the first thing you ought to do when you wake up is to pick up your phone. I think you ought to pick up a Bible and read it. You say, well, I read my Bible off my phone. Well, stop it. (laughs) Start reading your Bible in your Bible because when you get on that phone, it's too easy to check texts and calls and emails and social media and all that other stuff. And before long, you're not talking with the Lord you're talking with the world. I would just encourage you, parents, you set the example. Don't go around with your phone all the time in your hand. Don't go it all around all the time with it on your person. There should be some time in the day where you just absolutely turn it off and put it away. Good word. Thank you. All right. First Samuel chapter one, the power of a godly mother. First of all, I want to share with you that a godly mother encounters problems. Just because you're godly doesn't mean you won't have any problems. 
this precious lady Hannah had a problem. Look in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Now there was a certain man from Ramathim, Zophim, from the hill country of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, and Ephraimite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah. That's who we'll be specifically referring to today. And the name of the other was Panina. And Panina had children, but Hannah had no children. Elkanah, the man, was obviously a polygamist. He had two wives. Hannah was probably Elkanah's first wife, but she could not bear children. And more than likely, he had a second wife, Panina, and her primary responsibility was probably to have children. Consequently, Panina had a lot of bitterness toward Hannah because the Bible says that Elkanah loved her. He loved her. He loved Hannah. It doesn't say that he loved Panina, but it does say that he loved Hannah. Wounded people like Panina usually wound other people, and that's what happened. Now, polygamy, by the way, is sin, all right? God's plan for marriage is one man and one woman. That's it. One man and one woman. Yet God was working through sinful people like He always does to accomplish His will. And it's really hard for us in Western culture to understand how important it was to these Jewish women to have a child. You think about people that were barren, women that were barren in the Old Testament, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel. They went on to have children, but in their time of barrenness, they were struggling. They wanted to conceive, but they couldn't just like Hannah. Some of you have experienced that, uh, experienced infertility. You understand the anguish that it can cause. The Hebrew mindset was that children are blessings. I love Psalm 127, verse 3. We read it this morning. Behold, children are a gift. The world doesn't see it that way, does it? Children are a gift from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. That word gift means a heritage. They're what you're going to leave when you pass on. You leave to the world your children and it should be a great priority for every father and mother. Look at verse 3. Now, this man would go up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests to the Lord there. When the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Panina, his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters. But to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved her. But the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. It happened year after year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her. So she wept and would not eat. Note several things here. The Lord is sovereign over a woman's womb. You see that mentioned twice in verses 5 and 6. 
The womb of the woman is God's creative workshop. That is why abortion is such an abomination, because abortion destroys the creation of God inside the workshop of God, and that is the woman, the womb of a woman. Notice also that Elkanah's second wife, Penina, had multiple children, and she provoked, she provoked, she belittled, she made fun of Hannah because she was barren. That was sheer cruelty. She did everything she could to hurt her rival. And then Penina's provocation and ridicule of Hannah was ongoing. It happened year after year, verse 7. Now look at verse 8. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Now please don't miss this. And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Now listen, am I not better to you than ten sons? That old boy did not struggle with self-esteem, did he? All right. <laughs> I'm better than ten sons, baby. What's wrong with you? He thought he was dash rip rock. And some of y'all don't know who that is, but I do. Hannah loved the Lord, but she still had problems. Did you catch that? It's the Beverly Hillbillies, for those of you that are asking. All right, great. And Jesus said that all of us who love him will have problems. He said in John 16, 33, the night before he went to the cross, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In me you may have peace. In the world you will have peace. Tribulation. Say that with me. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage. I've overcome the world. Mothers, if you're experiencing troubles in this life, everyone in. It, because, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean your troubles go away. In fact, they may multiply because now you've got the adversary, Satan, coming after you. But Jesus promises to be with you just like he was with Hannah. Godly mothers encounter problems. Secondly, Godly mothers should engage in prayer. Godly mothers should engage in prayer. Now look in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 9, and following, then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. When godly people have a problem, you know what they do? They pray. They pray. They don't worry. They pray. Isaiah 57, 15 is a beautiful verse. God dwells with the contrite and lowly of spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. You need to know that verse. Isaiah 57, verse 15. Hannah prayed and God listened. Look at verse 11. She made a vow. She said, Lord, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son. Notice she didn't just ask for a child, she asked for a son. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head. What's that all about? I'll dedicate him as a Nazarite. You can read all about it, and you should, in Numbers chapter 
6. Nazarites were completely devoted to the Lord. And they were separate from the world. No razor was to touch their head. That's why Samson had long hair. He was a Nazarite. And you had to let your hair grow long. You couldn't drink liquor, strong drink or wine. And you couldn't touch a dead person because that was ceremonially make you unclean. They were wholly consecrated to the Lord. Verse 12. Now it came about as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth instead of looking at her heart, by the way. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart. That's what prayer is. It's heart language. Only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. She was pouring out her heart to God. That's a beautiful thing. Verse 13, so Eli thought she was drunk. How about that? That's a real spiritual man, right? Woman's over there praying her soul out, and he thinks she's drunk. Then Eli said to her, how long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. It had been a long time since he'd seen anybody pray fervently and sincerely. He couldn't recognize holy agonizing when he saw it. Verse 15, but Hannah replied, no, my Lord, I'm a woman oppressed in spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. When's the last time you poured out your soul before the Lord? Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman, for I have spoken until now out of the, my great concern and provocation. Then Eli answered and said, go in peace. Shalom. Go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. That's the priest saying that. She said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate. She'd been fasting, but now she ate. Her face was no longer sad. She had poured out her heart to the Lord. Eli and the Lord through Eli had blessed her. God heard her prayer, answered her prayer. And Hannah left with a deep witness in her soul. She prayed through until she had a witness in her soul that everything was going to be all right. She didn't know how, but she knew God had it all under control. Aren't you glad that when we pray, God gives us that beautiful witness in our heart that even though we don't know how he's going to do it, he's going to work it out in his own way. I love the hymn, that says, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. Are you grieving? Pray. What a privilege to carry everything to God in what? Prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in, say it with me, prayer. Prayer. Mothers, are you facing troubles? Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are you lacking financially? Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are your children ill? Take it to the Lord in prayer. Is your marriage falling apart? Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are your children living in sin? Take it to the Lord in prayer. Every problem you have should prompt you to pray. I want to say this again. 
every problem a Christian has, even children that aren't doing well, should prompt you to pray. How blessed is a child who has a mother who prays for him. And I want to say this to you. If you're a rebellious child and your mother is praying for you and she's not going to stop, go ahead and raise up the surrender flag or you're going to get the tar beat out of you by the Lord. Amen? I'm telling you, God answers the prayer of praying women. Praise the Lord for it. Let's thank the Lord for praying women. Amen? Amen. Godly mothers. A mother's prayer can change history. Abraham Lincoln said, I owe everything I am to the prayers of my mother. Godly mothers engage in prayer. Thirdly, godly mothers experience power. Look at 1 Samuel 1 verse 19. Then they arose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and returned again to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah had relations with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. I like that. Came about in due time. You know what that means? God's time. How many of you know that God's not on your time? Does anybody know that? He's not on your time zone, is he? he he's doing his thing. You need to get in on his time. It's due time. Came about in due time. Came about at the right time after Hannah had conceived that she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel saying, because I have asked him of the Lord. God's time is always correct. Now notice a very tender scene. Look at verse 21. Then the man Elkanah went up with all his household to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, I will not go up until the child is weaned. Probably about three or four years old. Maybe two or three. Then I will bring him, and he may appear before the Lord and stay there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Remain until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord confirm his word. Here we see what the Bible means in Ecclesiastes 5. When you make a vow to the Lord, and she had made a vow to the Lord, don't be late in paying it. For the Lord takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It's better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Verse 23 goes on to say, So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. She intended to fulfill her vow. She just wanted to nurture her son, Samuel. I cannot emphasize to you, ladies out there, how important it is to interact with your children, especially in the preschool years. I can't emphasize it enough. I'm going to say something that's not popular, but I believe it with all my soul. If you have to work, try your best to go part-time, not full-time. If that's not possible, do what Jay was talking about. When you get home, eliminate every distraction in your home. Every distraction. Leave your iPhone your iPad at the door when you come home, don't pick them up again 
until your child is in bed. Spend time with your child every time you can. Time passes quickly. Time passes quickly. I can't believe that I've been here 18 years. Time passes quickly. I can't believe that my children are all grown. And I sure can't believe all the children they're having. I'm grateful for them. I know that some of you have to work outside the home. I understand that. But if you're a single mother, I know you're the breadwinner, the breadwinner. God bless you. The Lord will give you grace and help you raise godly children. But do your best to love your children. And when you are with them, be with them. Don't be distracted. Look at verse 24 now. Now, when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with a three-year-old bull, one ephah of flour, a jug of wine, brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. Although the child was young, then they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. She said, Oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. And this next two verses are memory verses, verses 27 and 28. For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition which I asked of him, so I have also dedicated him to the Lord as long as he lives. He is dedicated to the Lord. We ought to pray that for our children. Amen? And he worshiped the Lord there. Godly mothers experience power. Job was the godliest man on the planet. But he suffered more than any other person in history except for Jesus Christ. But after God got through with him, here's what Job said. The Lord restored, the Bible says, the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends and the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. I want to say this to you. If you will stay with the stuff and go through the fire, you'll come out on the other side. There is hope for your future. The early Christians prayed and experienced the power of God. I just read this this week in my quiet time, Acts 4, 31. When they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the Word of God boldly. There's something that prayer does that nothing else can do. If you feel inadequate and powerless as a parent, and I sure have felt that way. God's work requires God's power. And when godly mothers pray, godly mothers experience God's power. Well, there's one more thing. Godly mothers encounter problems. Godly mothers should engage in prayer. If they engage in prayer, godly mothers will experience power. But don't forget to thank God when He moves. The last thing is this. Godly mothers 
should express praise. I want to tell you, if you've got a wayward child and they come back to the Lord, you ought to shout to the Lord. And if they're still away from the Lord, shout to the Lord in faith. Amen? And say, I'm, I'm doing this, Lord, because I believe you're going to bring that child back. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 2. Verse 1, then Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. This sounds a lot like Mary after she became pregnant with Jesus. My horn is exalted. That is, my strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth becomes, speaks boldly against my enemies. Behold, I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. Boast no more so very proudly. Don't let arrogance come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and with Him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are shattered, but the feeble gird on strength. Those who were full hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry ceased to hunger. Even the barren gives birth to seven, but she who has many children languishes. She was praising the Lord. If you go down to verse 18, it says this, now Samuel was ministering before the Lord as a boy, wearing a linen ephod, and his mother would make him a little robe and bring it to him from year to year. She got to see him once a year. When she would come up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice, then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children, plural, from this woman in place of the one she dedicated to the Lord. How many of you know when you give, God always outgives you in return? Amen? And they went to their home, and the Lord visited. The Lord showed up. He visited Hannah, and she conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters, and the boy Samuel grew before the Lord. I'm telling you, she was praising the Lord, and she was having youngins. Amen? Let's give God praise for that. Amen. It really does sound a lot like Mary, doesn't it, when she conceived Jesus? Mary said in Luke 1, my soul exalts the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. We ought to be grateful when God answers our prayers for He has had regard for the humble state of His bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. And holy is His name. Godly mothers express praise. Several years ago, Don and I went through a troubling time. She had a bad diagnosis, what we thought was. They went, the doctors looked at her and some tissue was removed, and the doctor said, just looking at it, he started crying. He said, just looking at it, I think it's malignant. 
And they took that tissue, examined it. We left the doctor's office and were driving home. She prayed that she would be able to live long enough to raise our children. We prayed for healing and braced ourselves for whatever the Lord was going to do. About halfway home, we got a call. And it was the doctor's office. And the nurse was screaming. It's benign. It's benign. It's benign. I want to tell you, I pulled, I pulled over. I ran down the hill shouting. I ran up the hill shouting. And Donna just sat in her car and cried. We thank the Lord. Donna did what Hannah did. She encountered a problem. She engaged in prayer. She experienced God's power. And when we got that call, praise his name, she expressed praise to God. Mothers, you're in a powerful position. Live for the Lord like Hannah. And may every woman in this room, whether you're a mother or not, may God bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you. Be gracious unto you. Lift up his countenance upon you and give you his shalom. That's what Hannah got. The greatest gift she got was not a child, but was the peace of Almighty God. And may we all abide in that. Let's give God praise today. Amen.